Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. In this parliament, we have multiple First Nation senators and members of the House of Representatives, and that's fantastic. It's great to see. But in the next parliament, that may not be the case. So I think it's really important to have that static body that's going to be there throughout governments of every colour um, into the future to provide advice to government on the issues that are going to impact them. Hello, lovely people of podcasts. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Australian Politics and I am Catherine Murphy. And with me this week is a lovely group of MPs, actually, who have... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Unusual. <laughs> Do you no, call no, that? No, 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 I know. That sounded a bit pointed, didn't it? Anyway, they are genuinely lovely uh, MPs and they have uh, embarked on an interesting project that I really wanted to tease out in a conversation this morning. So I'm going to allow them actually to introduce themselves. So why don't you start, Gordon? Oh, excellent. Well, thank you for having me firstly. Uh, I'm Dr Gordon Reid. I'm the member for Robertson on the New South Wales Central Coast. Okay. Great to join you, Catherine. I'm Bridget Archer. I represent the people of Bass in northern Tasmania. Northern Tasmania, yes. Hi, I'm Allegra Spender. I'm the independent member for Wentworth. So think of Bondi Beach in the eastern suburbs and a bit out from there. And that's where you are. Okay. So uh, as I said, lovely group. And uh, these guys have established a parliamentary friendship group to basically sort of advance the Uluru Statement ahead of the referendum on The Voice uh, later this year. So um, who wants to take this one? How did the group come about? I might jump in if that's okay. Yep. Um, So I was having a chat with some parliamentary colleagues and um, some people in the building and I wanted to get a bit more awareness on what the Uluru Statement of the Heart was, uh, what it's about and what it means for all Australians, um, specifically the Indigenous community. And um, I thought, what's the best way to do that? Um, So I I asked around and the way that we can educate parliamentarians and engage with stakeholders is through the Parliamentary Friendship Group. Um, Being a new MP, that it was a foreign concept to me because I didn't know much about them. Um, So I I thought about it and I thought, well, I might might have a chat with the opposition Mm -hmm. and... um, Bridget Archer was kind enough to sit down and, and have a coffee with me and we we discussed it, uh, discussed the concept of the friendship group and what it could be about and how we can best go about supporting the Uluru Statement and um, Bridget was kind enough to accept my invitation to mm-hmm. join the group. Mm-hmm. And as we spoke a bit further, um, we knew that Allegra had a strong interest uh, in this area as well and certainly I have a view that we must have a bipartisan approach Mm, uh, to this issue. And uh, so to have this kind of cross-party representation, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. And Allegra? Yeah, look, I was really excited because, you know, I think 
I remember still the first time I read the Uluru Statement from the Heart and the you know goosebumps that I got and and you know I feel it's a real privilege to be part of a parliament on such an important issue and I think as Bridget said it's about bringing everyone together about bringing the whole parliament together and also the whole country so I was really pleased to be part of bringing those people together. Yeah, I might actually just say at this juncture, because there was a function uh, in Parliament House this week uh, that I sort of hovered up the back of and listened to all of you and spoke to some people afterwards. Obviously, I have read the Uluru Statement. I've never heard it verbalised. And one of the guests at uh, the function this week read or or Mm. recited, I should say, because he didn't read it. He recited it. And it was extraordinary. Very powerful. As an oral uh, statement as well as something you read. So just before we launch into various questions I've got, I would encourage all listeners, actually, if you haven't read it yet, do yourself a favour, go and read it. It's a pretty extraordinary piece of oratory. And if you can hear it said aloud, give yourself the opportunity to do that as well. Because I must say, I crossed a bit of a Rubicon myself this week, actually hearing it verbalised. Because I think it reminds uh, people too that uh, this is not sort of a document that's being created by governments, yeah. for example. Uh, this is, as it says, from the heart, you know, and I think you really get that sense of that grassroots, um, heartfelt message when you hear it spoken. Yeah, it's, it was anyway really interesting. Sorry, And I was just going to say, it's not long. Because I think a lot yeah. of people think, oh, is this a big policy document? It's 400 or so words. Yeah. And so it's 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 so, it's beautifully crafted and, and very emotional, actually, as someone, I think, one of the most beautiful pieces of writing in Australia. Yeah, yeah, really. It, genuinely extraordinary. Anyway, so uh, just before um, the shout out for the Uluru Statement, you guys were sort of basically talking about building consensus and the importance of building <laughs> consensus. So obviously this friendship group is targeted at the theatre where standing in at this point in time, which is the parliament, and your colleagues from across uh, all parties. So what is your plan, basically, to broaden the footprint of support for this issue in the parliament? You know, how will you approach that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things that we wanted to do, and as Bridget was talking about before, was create that bipartisan consensus about what the Uluru Statement is, what it's about, and what it means to to Australians and including um, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters. So um, by creating um, and hosting events like we had the other day and promoting that dialogue between members of the community about what it's about. So we had uh, Thomas Mayo, the gentleman that you mm. just referred to who spoke the, the statement aloud, um, very emotive, uh, a simple statement, but very powerful. And also we had Dean Parkin as well. So we had people from, from different elements of the community expressing what it means to them and what it means to the to the people of Australia. And I think by holding those dialogues and having that that free flowing debate about what it means, mm. I think that's really important. And that's that's where I see it moving forward. Mm. And I think the nature of these parliamentary friends group groups is that they are collegial. So it creates a safe space, if you like, for people to just come and hear um, all sorts of things in that non-confrontational, yeah. not divisive sort of way, uh, just making a maximum amount of information available to people about what the voice is, why it matters um, to people, and then also um, hopefully equipping people with some tools to communicate Mm. with their electorates Mm. as well. I think that's right. And I think, you know, there are a range of 
I think, really important voices in this. And so I think we want to have a diversity of yeah. events. So with young people telling them about uh, telling parliamentarians and also staff, it's a really big community in parliaments, not just parliamentarians, yeah. um, about what the difference it will make to them. You know, more for those who are more the constitutional sort of conservatives, you know, why that this isn't a, isn't a frightening thing for the constitution, why this is actually a really you know, moderate and sensible and, and simple, you know, changes in terms of the recognition and consultation. So I think, you know, approaching people where they are and not judging, but really opening and helping people understand and question and, and get answers. And then at the same time, you know, for me and for others, you know, I'm really passionate about you know, this in my community, mm. but I want to learn from other communities and other, what other parliamentarians and people are doing in their communities and bring that back to back yeah. home to Wentworth. Well, this is why it's sort of quite interesting because you really do have a diversity of communities sort mm. of represented in this friendship group. So again, I'm sort of interested, obviously, your this activity is facing your colleagues in terms of trying to basically build a groundswell. But I'm actually really interested because you're in different parts of the country, different demographics in your electorates. I'm interested really in your read, all of you, about how the voice debate is playing in your communities. Allegra, do you want to kick off? Look, um, I think there's a, you know, in my community, there's a huge amount of support. And so we've got actually a group of people who've come together, you know, forming for Wentworth for the Voice, working, you know, with councils, with businesses, you know, you know, with churches to say, how do we um, drive that? But I think there are also still questions. And so my electorate, I think, really wants a respectful conversation about this. You know, I was talking to one of the reverends in um, one of my churches recently, and he said, look, my congregation has questions. And I said, okay, let's do an event with them and have that conversation you know, make sure that they hear from um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people about, you know, the difference that it will make for them, you know, treat people respectfully. And I think that's what it has to be about is treat people respectfully, give people the right information. And I think, you know, that I think is going to really work in in my community. Mm -hmm. Bridget? Yeah, I think that's true in my community as well. I think you always have sort of loud voices on all sides of a debate. But to me, it's really about uh, everybody in the in the middle too that um, is sort of, you know, they're not sure, they have questions, it's not front of their mind yet, all of those sorts of things. And I'm really keen, as I am with many things, to um, promote and facilitate a sort of conversation, you know, a respectful conversation about issues rather than having to have these kind of binary you know, divisive sort of arguments. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And um, so I think the more information that you can provide to people and the more opportunities you can provide for people to seek answers to questions or whatever in that sort of respectful way, the better. Mm. And the central yeah. coast of New South Wales? Yeah. And How's look, it going? I'd agree, with, I'd agree with Bridget. You know, we need to create that space and that open dialogue for people to, to have a chat. What is the voice and what is the constitutional recognition that um, that we're looking to implement in this in this campaign? And, you know, promoting that respectful dialogue is, is really important. And I think I have a bit of a, a unique perspective given my background. Um, my, my nan, Aunty Robin Reid, um, a Mingaletta elder, but of Wiradjuri descent, um, living on dark and young land on the central coast. So the Aboriginal community is quite close to me. Yep. And they also have questions and also want to be part of that dialogue as well. So um, it's creating that space, that safe space for people to have a chat. Mm-hmm. So you, you've all reflected on uh, the sort of underlying dynamic in your electorates where people need the safe space basically to be able to pursue questions they have. A concern I've got is uh, the referendum won't be until September or October. We all know that cost of living pressure is acute 
all around the country and will actually increase as we sort of move past this threshold where a lot of people on fixed mortgage rates will move on to variable rates. I sort of look at uh, a sort of big national cause like The Voice, which is sort of in a continuum of causes in Australia, and wonder whether there's a collision looming between how people feel about their material circumstances and whether they think that politicians should be focusing on that exclusively rather than these sort of big nation-building events. I don't know. What do you think? I think, um, well, I think two things. One, I think that um, people rightly have an expectation that their elected representatives can do more than one thing at a time. <laughs> what, about, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but I think also for uh, for the general population, it is possible to care about more than one thing at the same time mm. in equal measure. Yeah. So all of those things are important and people will be concerned about that and rightly, but I think they are, you know, we, we are all capable of caring about more than one thing at once. Multitasking. Yeah, yes. I think so. And some of the, actually a lot of the issues that have been happening in the Indigenous community for years now, this is a way that we can make practical change. You know, we've been saying that for a while now, but that is the case because Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, if the referendum is successful, will have a seat at the table. They'll mm. be able to provide advice to government about the issues that affect them. And and that's really important, you know, with falling education outcomes, health outcomes, justice outcomes. I think it's, it's really important that we have these positive conversations to ensure that there is a successful referendum. Yeah, it's sort of interesting, that point, because it is often portrayed as, and I, I just did it myself in a quite lazy fashion, uh, that it's sort of symbolism versus materialism. But the thing about the voice is that it actually combines the two. And do you think people understand that, Allegra? Look, I think that's what people are starting to understand. You know, I just this week met with a group called Empowered Communities, and these are 10 communities around the country where um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are really leading in terms of what their community wants and therefore how they work together to really improve outcomes and all the measures that Gordon just talked about in education, employment, all those critical things. It was moving the difference that they have made in their communities by, by truly being consulted and by being at the heart of it. And I think that's the message we need to get out because people, you know, people, I think, you know, have a lot of compassion and hope for this country. We we want to walk together in a really hopeful, positive way. And, you know, we really, I think, you know, certainly from my community, we want to see all parts of Australia thrive. And I think this is a great opportunity to make a practical difference, but also to recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the constitution. They were not there, mm. you know, back in 1901. They were not represented. And I think recognising that connection to history and country is absolutely critical as well for our future. Mm -hmm. And I think we overlook the importance of symbolism too. And symbolism is important um, in and of its own right. It's why we say sorry, Mm. you know, because we can't move forward, we can't heal, we can't do any of those things without those symbolic um, and important parts of, you know, our cultural norms in a way. Um, So the symbolism, I think, is often dismissed, but I think that the symbolism is actually important in terms of the tangible reality going forward as well. And you mentioned too, actually, Bridget, at the this function earlier in the week that you're acutely conscious of Tasmania's history in terms of the past, sort of drawing the through line from the past until now. I just thought that was a really interesting point. Well, Tasmania has a, you know, um, like many places, you know, really a shameful history, not only of 
colonisation dispossession for Indigenous people, but of a kind of whitewashing of that over time um, as well. And I think we're really only in recent years um, starting to hear truth um, in Tasmania. And, you know, that goes to what I, I was just saying. Like, I think if you can't get to truth telling and the symbolism that is involved in an apology and, and in seeking to, to recognise what's happened. Yep. It's very difficult to move past that. Mm. Just to you both, because obviously Gordon and Bridget are major party actors and uh, the history of referenda in the country indicate that there's more chance of success if there's a bipartisan position. Gordon, obviously it's government policy to pursue the voice, but do you detect in your own ranks sort of any concern about whether it's okay to proceed now when there are other sort of political pressures building or do you think, you know, look, Labor is locked and loaded, this is, uh, we're, we're marching towards the referendum, it'll all be sweet? No, look, I and this is where I agree with Bridget, um, we can do more than one thing um, at the same time and it's making sure that we're focusing and progressing towards that symbolic gesture and acknowledgement that, you know, Aboriginal people have been here for a long time, over 65,000 years, and acknowledging that they're the traditional custodians of the land and also the establishment of that representative body of Indigenous communities from right across the country because it's important. If we continue down the same path with the status quo, then we're going to get more of the same. Mm. Um, our, our government realises that. There are members of the opposition that realise that, members of the crossbench that realise that, and that's the importance of this referendum. Mm. So we need to stay the course um, mm. and we need to ensure that we're creating that safe space for open dialogue. Mm. What do you reckon in terms of your own show? Obviously, Peter Dutton is yet to land on a position in terms of where the Liberals will end up. Uh, obviously, the Nats have got a position. What are you detecting about the debate internally and where you might end up? Yeah, look, I think it's been um, positive in a way that there has been time taken to to listen and to um, form a view. You know, for me personally, you know, I'm not sure that we will necessarily land a single um, view mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I think that that's okay. And, and what we're saying through this group and what we've been saying about this is there are a range of views in the community and this is the point, like Australians are going to decide this. My vote is worth the same as mm. your vote and, and anybody else's vote. And that's the point. Um, and so I'm not unhappy if politicians don't kind of necessarily think that, that they need to take a position mm. um, in that way. But, you know, if they're free to do so, like everybody else, and then the detail of what that looks like will then be the job for Politicians yeah. to thrash out. Exactly. Yeah. You're right. This, you know, this isn't this isn't for us. This is mm. for Australians, and it's got to be grassroots and community led and, and bottom up. And I'd just add to that, you know, you, you had that question, oh, you know, will people think politicians are distracted? And the truth is it's actually going to be less and less about politicians, I think, as it goes on. Like the Uluru Statement from the Heart didn't come from politicians. It came from community and it was an invitation to the Australian people. And and I think, you know, this referendum, as Bridget said, it's, it's not going to be won or lost by, you know, our three votes. It's going to be won or lost in the community. And I think the more that the shift goes to the community, the more powerful and more likely 
likely there is to success because, mm. as you said, you know, we've got lots of other things in Parliament we need to worry about. Um, so for me, my I feel my role is really to em- help empower the community, make sure I'm listening if there are questions that I can help get answers to. But it's not for me to be the sole cheerleader. You know, the community is going to step up and I think that's going to be the most powerful thing. Mm. Yeah, look, I agree. I mean, obviously, it is a bottom-up thing and the referendum has the best chance of success if it remains a bottom-up thing. It's just sadly in my lifetime, <laughs> there have been other sorts of <laughs> referendum campaigns. I mean, I'm, I'm not even having to reach that far back. Uh, so I guess it's sort of like I can see, look, it's interesting, isn't it? David Littleproud, the leader of the National Party, they formed a position quite promptly <laughs> that they would be opposing this. But Littleproud himself is saying, I'm not going to be out there championing the no case. I'm not going to be out on television you know, every night saying, don't vote for this. You know, let's just say that's a neutral posture. Mm. Uh, But of course, not all of his colleagues will be neutral in terms of how they conduct themselves. Bridget, I think you're saying in terms of the Liberals that it is your expectation that uh, people will be free to exercise their views, their their own views in relation to this issue. Is that that, Yeah, I hope so, certainly in relation to, you know, whether we're saying Australians should get a say on this. Australians should decide and we shouldn't seek to interfere in that, in in my opinion. You know, I personally am supportive of the voice and, you know, I want to make sure that people understand the information that is available and hear from those voices if they're not, answer questions if they have them. And But I really see that the role of elected representatives is to make information available. And that means, you know, I don't turn people away if they say, well, I don't believe in that and I've got questions or I'm not sure about that. Mm. You have a conversation with them and you answer them. their questions. No, that's right. <laughs> I think, and the worst thing I think we can do actually is to cancel people or to get into that space because um, I think we need to be reasoned and measured about this because the last thing I want to see is I think what we saw, for example, during the same-sex marriage debate where it descends into a kind of, you know, really nasty, divisive, hurtful conversation for people who are actually affected. Mm. And it is possible to have a divergence of views and maintain respectful communication and that's what I will seek to try and foster. And again, I I want to come back to that point about ventilating all views and I feel slightly bad asking you this question but I feel like I have to. In the event that Peter Dutton says the Liberal Party's position is no in, in the event that happens and he determines he will take a public no posture in the campaign as some political leaders have in the past on other issues. Where does that leave you? Well, it leaves me where it always leaves me. I mean, certainly my view when I come to this place is that I'll seek to represent the views and interests of the people of my community first. Mm. And, you know, I think I've demonstrated that I will do that, have done that and would continue to do that. Mm, Okay. Differences of views. Now, obviously, this friendship group is predicated really on, as we said at the top, right, expanding the footprint of information, support, whatever, within the parliamentary cohort. And as Allegra said, that's more than politicians. But I'm interested in terms of, obviously, some parliamentarians have different views. Lydia Thorpe, for example, has expressed some views about sovereignty. I mean, to be clear, constitutional lawyers thus far advising 
The Voice campaign have not agreed with some of the questions that she's asking, but nonetheless, she's asking questions that people at community level are asking. What's Mm -hmm. the impact on sovereignty? Obviously, Jacinta Price has other views as well. How will you um, sort of manage that as a group, basically a forum for discussion and information sharing? Is it all comers? Uh, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when we organised the the launch and the event, that went to all members and senators of all political persuasions and jersey colours because we wanted it to be a, a safe place for open dialogue. So everyone got that invitation and at the next event that we hold, everyone will get the same invitation mm. um, because we do want to create as much bipartisanship or tripartisanship, my apologies, um, <laughs> as, as we can. So, um, and that's that's the point of the group. Yes. A- and other people are free to also hold <clears throat> events and forums and are, you know, I'm aware that there was a, a meeting this week in Parliament House organised by Jacinta, for example, with another perspective mm-hmm. and people are free to attend those. But I think by having that range and diversity of perspectives offered for people to come along and hear and no holds barred, come ask your questions, mm. whatever. Mm. I think I think that's right. There are no shrinking violets around here. You do need to be ready. To, you need to be ready to defend your position. And, you know, Bridget and I were just talking about getting some of more the sort of constitutional sort of, you know, experts to, uh, you know, be able to have those conversations mm. of does this affect sovereignty? Is this going to, you know, how the High Court is going to interpret this? Because these are really reasonable questions and these are, you know, people take their responsibilities, I think, as parliamentarians and as staff and as media really seriously. And you've got to be ready to answer serious questions. Mm, Because there is that sort of concern. I think the legal uh, idea is interesting because there is this persistent concern, at least from what I might call waverers, Mm. basically, whether or not, uh, you know, various elements of this are just, I can never say that word, justiciable. Yes, justiciable. I mean, <laughs> but I think yeah. this is, you know, there's a working group of, you know, really eminent jurists working exactly on this. Mm. And I think we should get, and I think we will get some of those people to front, you know, this friendship group. And so people can ask those questions and, you know, have that serious debate. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's um, also an important point is that there's nuance in this um, debate, for want of a better word, that People who say, well, I'm not sure about that, are not necessarily opposed to a voice. Mm. They may just have concerns around, and in fact, I've spoken to many people who say, well, you know, I kind of, I support the the idea of a voice, but I have um, uncertainty around the constitutional implications. Fine, let's have those conversations. And, you know, if that can put your mind at ease, then, you know, you may be more inclined um, to to support a yes campaign than a no campaign, you know, and I think it is about information for people. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you're all on the clock because you've got to be in Parliament in two secs. (laughs) I'll give you open mics for you for for the last last run around. It's dangerous. (laughs) Well, well, don't get a politician in open mics. Well, please please make it dangerous. No, 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 I'm serious. Okay, you've got someone standing in front of you Mm -hmm. who either opposes the voice or has a million questions. What's your pitch? Gordon? So I'd say that, you know, this is about acknowledgement, acknowledging our Aboriginal brothers and sisters in our nation's birth certificate. That's one aspect. Then the second aspect is making sure that the Indigenous communities have a say in the policies that are going to affect them, whether that be in health or finance or education or employment, because there's been policies that have been implemented by previous governments um, of both persuasions that potentially could have been avoided or could have been changed if a voice had have been present. And I think that's really important. And I'll just finish by saying that in this parliament, we have multiple First Nation senators and members of the House of Representatives, and that's fantastic. It's great to see more 
Indigenous representation in our parliament, but in the next parliament, that may not be the case. Mm. So I think it's really important to have that static body that's going to be there throughout governments of every colour um, into the future to provide advice to government on the issues that are going to impact them. Okay. Bridget? Yeah, I think it's really about those two things. It's about recognition and consultation. It's that simple as far as I'm concerned, like it's recognition and consultation. Both of those parts, as we've said, are important. The consultation part and that intentional consultation, I guess, for want of a better word, you know, and it's what we have done with, you know, we run a gender lens over over things. We might focus on a disability, mm. for example. Mm. It, it's that kind of situation that you're intentionally saying, oh, hang on, like let's actually ask people that we're making decisions about how it might affect them. So creating self-determination within those communities. Mm-hmm. Allegra? Look, pretty similar. I think I'd say, you know, if you're trying to help somebody, you better start by asking them what's important to them rather than imposing it. That's the heart of consultation. Like just, you know, listen to people whose lives you're trying to affect. That will make better outcomes. And I think the truth is it's not going to affect me much, but it is going to have the opportunity to make a really big difference, you know, to some Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And for me, that's really important. Mm. And I, my community too. This is a hopeful, positive moment for Australia. Um, you know, we are very lucky country. And, you know, we really want to make everybody have have an opportunity really to thrive and to have the best lives they possibly can and to recognise and acknowledge, I think, you know, the enormous contribution of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, you know, for millennial in this land. Mm, Nice note to end on. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it because it is a hell of a thing to get three people in a room in the middle of a second (laughs) week. So thank you for that. Thank Thank you you to you guys for listening. Thank you to my producer, Karishma Luthria. And uh, we'll be back next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.